Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. I was just wondering as I looked out my window at the blue sky and the sun, do you think people who live in places where, you know, the sun shines every day, blue sky, sun, it's just a given, do you think they possibly appreciate it as much as we do? (laughs) We beleaguered folks who live in a place where, you know, leaden gray skies are, are the norm. Gee whiz, I really do think that when the sun comes out, we are certainly more appreciative. It it would be like, you know, back in the old days when people had nothing and maybe a child at Christmas got an orange in his stocking. Do you think that child's appreciation of the taste, the flavor, the texture, the smell of an orange wouldn't be greater than yours, who can have an orange pretty much any time you want one. I I think that's probably true. So (laughs) I appreciate the sun today. that and the day after that and the day after that. God, I love it. Anyway, hi, how you doing? It's May 13th, yet another day in this interesting new reality we inhabit. Uh, I want to uh, first pass on, gosh, I hope none of you clicked on this. Uh, Chuck has sent me a, and you, a warning um, that he received something that looked like it maybe came from me and it's not from me. So if you get anything in your email that has uh, from a Yahoo account, Cullen show at Yahoo, uh, uh, do not open that. As a matter of fact, I got it too today. Um, and the fact that Chuck got it too means it's it, it's out there. So please, 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 just don't don't click on that because it ain't from me, and it's only someone you know choose. Why do people choose mischief? And that's a nice word for it. Why do people choose to bring? annoyance and or pain and or grief into other people's lives. I don't understand that. It's beyond me and always has been beyond me. Uh, I want to start with uh, an appreciation of a woman who I never had the opportunity to meet, but who I understood from being, uh, well, sentient and a resident in these parts, I knew her to be an extraordinary woman. And uh, that is Vernell Lilly, who uh, has died 
at um i I'm not sure how old she was. She was, I think, well into her 80s. But Vernell Lilly is someone <laughs> who made such a mark on so many people's lives that it, it, she is the epitome of a, of a life well lived. Uh Saladin said this of her, she was the queen mother of black theater in this city. She was also a professor at the University of Pittsburgh, a doctorate holder from CMU, uh, the founder of Kuntu Repertory Theater, which nurtured so much extraordinary talent, which is now spread all over the United States. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I have it here. She died Monday on her 89th birthday. Vernell Lilly. Uh, Kuntu Theater, uh, hard to describe the impact of, of it. Uh, she, along with Rob Penny, a playwright, also a professor and poet, um, founded it. They both taught in Pitt's Afri African Studies Department. Um, everything I read about her and have read about her has, has made her seem so... You know how some people just seem like they are so huge uh, that there's nothing they can't tackle, that their energy and their skill and their talent and their, their dreams and their fortitude just know no bounds. And that was always the sense I had of her, and I am so sorry I never got to meet her. Um, she, uh, she was responsible for uh, bringing August Wilson into the come-to-fold uh, with his play Homecoming, and that was back in 1975, and it was the first play uh, of his to be produced by a resident company. That was Vernell's company. Um, I, uh, Chris Rawson, who was the uh, theater critic for uh, Pittsburgh uh, Post-Gazette, uh, put Vernell Lilly in a list of the most influential figures of the last century. The 10, she made the top 10, the 10 most significant theatrical Pittsburghers of the last century. And there was Vernell Lilly, along with George S. Kaufman, August Wilson, Gene Kelly, and others. So I, I just must say that my, my, my heart goes out to those who knew her and loved her and uh, for whom her 
presence in their lives literally changed their lives for the best. This was an extraordinary woman, Vernell Lilly, and I wanted to note her passing. Um, KDKA Radio. I hate to bring this up. But they did it again, I guess. And this time it wasn't Wendy Bell. This is yesterday, and uh, it involved uh, the other uh, show host, uh, Marty Griffin, who apparently... Dr. Rachel Levine, consistently called Dr. Levine, sir. Uh, Dr. Levine is a trans woman, which is to say, for those who still don't quite get it, um, she was born uh, with the body of a male and um, lived with that as a male for uh, much of her life until she had the the courage and the agency to become what she was meant to be, which was a woman, an extraordinarily successful woman. She's clearly a woman. Her name is Rachel. She wears dresses and pearls every day when she gives, and Marty Griffin during an interview yesterday on his show, called her Sir more than once. And there is no way that Marty Griffin didn't know that that was not a proper appellation and was extraordinarily disrespectful. Um, He did it so often that and and she did not um wow the page i'm looking for doesn't exist you got to be kidding me um i was looking for the exact uh thing that she had um said but it, she eventually uh after about the third or fourth time where he even once said, uh, sir, uh, ma'am, uh, sir, you know, like, I don't know what the hell you are, did everything but call her it. Um, she finally had had it. And unlike President Trump, who storms out of his interviews um, when he's in no way uh, provoked like this, uh, Dr. Levine uh, said interjected uh, and said to Marty Griffin, please stop misgendering me. That's, that's what she said. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, I apologize. Um, but for a lot of people, that was just too much. Because Marty Griffin no matter what you think of him, is no idiot. And he knows Rachel Levine 
is a woman. Uh, presents as a woman. And there's no way he would call her sir. Mistakenly, you know, it would have to be with the intent to disrespect her. So a lot of people hearing this just really went berserk on Twitter. And uh, the mayor, Bill Peduto, actually canceled an interview he had with another show host on KDKA radio because he didn't want to be associated, I guess, with this uh, media outlet. Um, Unfortunately, he canceled an interview on the one show that is not, you know, uh, traffic, does not traffic in transphobia, homophobia, uh, you know, right-wing nutcase uh, theories. Um, And that was the show of Lynn Hayes Freeland. Um, so I'm not sure how I feel about the mayor doing that to Lynn, who cannot help that her employer uh, surrounds her with these type of hosts. But people should understand that this radio station is really poisonous and is so unrepresentative of this city. It's such a shame, a real shame. I uh, had the misfortune of working there very, for a very, very, very short time, um, where they exploited me. Uh, I I have never worked at a more horrible place uh, in my life, ever. And they picked me up after WTAE radio, where I had a three-hour daily talk show, uh, changed its format and went to sports talk. And so I was out of a job. They saw an opportunity to pick me up. They had no place for me, really. But they gave me a show on the weekend. And I'm trying to remember. They paid me. For a three-hour show, $100. A $100. I got to tell you, that is revolting. And I remember when I, and when I finally got a better offer to go to a station that was turning itself into a talk station so it could pick me up, and that was WPTT, which was then a country and western uh, station. I got an offer from the owners there saying, come on over here and start up a talk station for us. And I went in to tell, to, tell the head of uh, KDK Radio that I was leaving to do this. And he fairly laughed in my face. I have never been so astonished at the arrogance and the the just lack of civility. He said, ha, what? 
you're leaving us a 50,000-watt station to go across the river to that little puny 5,000-watt station that doesn't even show up in the ratings? And I said, yes, (laughs) I am. I am because they're giving me a full job, they're giving me respect, and they're actually paying me. Horrible place. And that was when they were still owned by the same wonderful folks who owned the KDKA television, which is not the case um, now. They're awful. They're just flat out awful, given the fact of the power of their signal, that they don't give a damn about the quality of their broadcasting. And quite clearly, their owners now are just part of the generalized uh, destruction of the format of talk radio, which had a proud history, um, and just turning it into uh, you know, a right-wing freak show with every once in a while a little token, you know, popping up so that they can't be accused of, you know, so that's how, you know, Lynn Hayes Freeland gets in and they can say, what do you mean? She's not, what? She's even black. And look at that. We have two women. I don't know. So just wanted to say um, they are vile. Just flat out vile. I had, um, I don't know. I don't know Marty Griffin. I've never met him. Um, I My sense of him from listening a little bit uh, to his show is he's okay as a, a talk show host. He repeats himself ad nauseum. Um, and he has a real problem with, uh, homophobia. I mean, quite clearly does, uh, way back, maybe about 15 years ago, um, a piece that he was doing, which was heavily promoted on KDKA television, where he also works, uh, was about, I can't even remember, but it was about him. He was outing a minister. Um, whose former lover had like, you know, turned on him. And Marty Griffin used this as a, as like, there were these salacious promos of, and find out where this minister, I, I remember seeing the promo and thinking, are you kidding me? And then you know what happened? The minister who he was going to out, who he clearly had already outed on these promos, killed himself. Killed himself. And that is a death that is directly attributable to KDKA television and Marty Griffin. 
I have always said that. And it's why I have never, ever had any respect for him. So his doing this to Dr. Levine uh, yesterday is part and parcel of, of what he has done throughout his broadcast life, which is play fast and loose with other people's lives. Incredible. Uh, Barbara says the mayor did the right thing. Um, the mayor said this, I've canceled an interview with Lynn Hayes Freeland for tomorrow. I'm not upset with her. She's always been a fair, strong journalist, but I will not support KDKA radio. Growing up, KDKA had good people who made us proud to be from Pittsburgh and now it's shock jock sensationalism and worse. Well, I disagree with that. They they don't have shock jocks there. Um, they they only have these misrepresenters like a Wendy Bell. They have uh, water carriers for uh, for Donald Trump. And then they've got transphobes and homophobes like uh, Marty Griffin. I don't know. But I don't know how the mayor um, is going to boycott the largest radio station in town. I mean, technically, he they do provide him a, um, a, a portal to uh, an awful lot of his constituents. So, I don't know. Um, I have never had much of a, I don't know, never mind. (laughs) Whatever. What else do I have here? Let me see. I am uh, later um, intending to share with you a fascinating letter from the legal director of the state uh, ACLU, American Civil Civil Liberties Union, Vic Volchek, who is another extraordinary human being who I have the pleasure of knowing. And um, he does so much great work helping people, saving people, and defending all of our civil liberties. And he wrote a letter to uh, some of us that have served with him in the ACLU community in the state, and it was called How Was Your Saturday Night? And he recounts what he did last Saturday night, and it is quite a story. Um, it's it's what, remember Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. It's the rest of the story of a little story I saw in the Post-Gazette about a young kid from Guatemala who was being held at, um, at uh, Holy Family Institute. Um, for the federal government and for the ICE folks. Um, 
and how there was an attempt to spirit that kid out of Holy Family um, and and send him back to Guatemala. Anyway, it, the way the way that uh, Vic tells this story is just amazing. So I want you to stay tuned for for that, if you would. And just a few odds and ends uh, for the moment. Um, well, hang on. Let me get into your emails. Lynn says, Father Joseph, sounds like you are making a case for the return of the fairness doctrine. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, wouldn't that be something? Well, yeah, it ain't going to happen with uh, Trump's FCC. Uh, I don't actually think the fairness doctrine uh, figures in um, to uh, the programming of a of a. St- I don't know. I'd have to go back. You know what? Here's where my old, uh, you know, somewhat desiccated brain is. It just doesn't have immediate access to the information that I know is in there. But a lot of people always sort of misunderstood the so-called fairness uh, doctrine, and and I used to be able to explain it, and I don't feel like I can <laughs> right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Damn. Uh, little Tony writes, I wish that the mayor would have come out and said that he didn't want anything to do with the station that has Marty Griffin and Wendy Bell as hosts. The real problem with the station is obviously the management. Yeah. They are the ones who hired her. Who the hell would hire Wendy Bell? Well, we know. We also, you know, listen, a lot of people think she's auditioning for Fox News. That's who'd hire Wendy Bell. She's got, you know, big dreams. And little Tony says, I'm sorry for the decent hosts like Lynn Hayes Freeland. And a couple others, well, yeah. Um, Barbara writes, uh, the definition of shock jock is a disc jockey on a talk radio show who expresses opinions in a deliberately offensive or provocative way. And using that definition, uh, you could say, yeah, kind of. But, you know, a real shock jock is so beyond what they traffic in more, I think, sort of sexual, salacious, misogynistic, more than political uh, talk. But, yeah, yeah, Wendy Bell approaches a political shock jock. But I don't know. I remember the first time I heard, I think it was Howard Stern, and I was traveling for WTAE television, and we were in Washington, D.C., reporting on something or other and driving around and listening. My photographer had uh, had on um, some radio station, and the guy on the station was saying things. I was so stunned. I'm sure that I think it was Howard Stern. I had never heard anybody uh, behave in this <laughs> 
manner. And I was truly shocked. And it's become so, you know, it's amazing how we get inured, how easily we become inured to a lowering of standards, right? So that which would shock you uh, two years ago doesn't even get your head turned today. And we've all learned that, certainly, in this era of, of Trump, uh, when every day brings a, uh, a lessening of any standard of civility or normal, honorable public discourse or just, do you know, he spent the weekend accusing, I mean, people of murder. He accused Joe Scarborough of murder, seriously. And other, all he, he, when he starts really flailing, all he can do is try desperately to get us to pay attention, you know, lock her up. He always needs to suggest that somebody has committed a horrible crime, and it doesn't matter if there is any crime committed or if there is, in the case of the Scarborough thing, no crime, I assure you. Um, it involved a young woman who worked in his office when he was a congressman, and she was found dead in his office. He was not even in town the medical examiner said she died from a heart uh, condition, uh, plus the blow to her head when the heart thing took her down and she fell and hit her head. Um, and, I, you know, what he's doing now with Obama, uh, trying to make it seem as if Obama and the people around him have created some horrible crime and when asked flat out, what crime are you talking about? He says, you know, anybody who reads the paper, they know. No, we don't. Because there is no crime. Feel like you're living in a crazy place. So let's take a break if we can. I'm hoping... And Amy, can you tell me if um, Amanda is there by any chance? Because that would be helpful if we could just for a second. So, Amanda, are you there? I'm here. Good. Right on time. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, punctuality. I'm also hearing my voice somehow coming back from... You, I don't know what that's I about, but are you are you getting any feedbacky stuff? No, no. Okay, well then I'll try to ignore it myself. This is Amanda Waltz. She is a senior uh, writer for uh, Pittsburgh City Paper, and Amanda, you've done a piece <laughs> on something I actually talked about maybe about three four weeks ago, much to the astonishment of my audience. Um, so the piece is about. Uh, it's a sort of delicate subject, <laughs> but in a oh, time yeah. when toilet paper is, uh, you know, gold, um, yeah. I have said 
I don't care about toilet paper. I have a toilet that does mm-hmm. all the work for me. It does everything but scramble eggs in the morning. I mean, seriously. <laughs> and yeah. mine is better even than the ones you talk about, which are add-ons. But the add-ons are really affordable. So talk about the fact that um, the bidet is uh, making a real comeback. Yeah, so I talked about bidet attachments, which is something that I had very little knowledge of. And then I started getting a bunch of ads on Instagram recently. And I don't think that was any coincidence, because as you said, there have been toilet paper shortages. Um, (laughs) So, uh, but there's a few companies that have been really aggressively selling these, uh, one of which is Tushy, which is... uh, the brand that I actually ended up testing. So, yeah, bidet attachments are basically these, they're very low tech. You can just attach them to your toilet, basically retrofit it to become a bidet. And, so your toy, um, your yeah, actual toilet, then you mm-hmm. you put a, a thing on it which creates a bidet so that after doing what you do on a toilet, you can now clean yourself yeah. With water, with a shot of water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. It's um, could be very little time to put it in. You don't need any plumbing experience. Uh, you basically just there's like a little piece of plastic where you can the water line, the water supply line that comes up from the wall up into your toilet. You can just add another tube, and then that will take the water from there into the bidet attachment and yeah i mean it's but it's really okay, so wait, you, okay so wait you you did this, you did this. believe yeah. me i could not have done it you can say it's easy i would still be sitting there tinkering and you know water would be spraying out of god knows where but so well, tell me about your experience when you first employed this uh device uh, well uh i was very naive um <laughs> And I don't know if it's my own water pressure, if I just have very intense water pressure, or if the attachment really is just that good. But when I first put it in, um, I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. And my husband and I, my husband was standing in the bathroom, and I turned on, there's three There's three settings. There's nozzle wash, um, pressure off, which basically there's no water coming out, and then butt wash, and butt wash is the actual bidet setting. Yeah, and I turned on butt wash. I wasn't on the toilet. I turned on butt wash, and water shot across the. You room. weren't on the toilet when you pressed it. Wor- no, because I was just like, oh, I don't know if it's working. <laughs> and it scared my husband and me. Like we were shocked. Did it hit the ceiling? So it hit pretty high on the I mean, wall. I mean, you heard. I heard it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it would be like Old Faithful. I mean, like. <laughs> It was very, and so I was a little scared to use it. And then, so the first time I used it, it was so intense that I screamed. Ah, (laughs) And I didn't realize that you have to, it's kind of, it's kind of on a grade. Like you can, it's almost like, like your shower dial, like you turn it and like the water gets more intense as you turn it. But I didn't read the instructions carefully enough. And so when I first used it, I just turned it on full blast. And it, it was 
a bit of a shock. <laughs> well, I believe in your in your piece, you were a little uncouth and said it. You oh, ripped like yourself. I ripped my butthole a new butthole. Right. <laughs> exactly. But so, yeah, it was, it, Amanda, once you got it, you know, calibrated, mm-hmm. you have to admit this is a more civilized way to deal with pooping. Yeah, it's it's really shocking how I've lived my entire life without it. And I mean, it's... <laughs> Because bidets, I mean, bidets are always kind of like a lazy joke in movies about Americans touring Europe. Right. You know, that kind of thing, or it's like, right. oh, a bidet. Right. But, yeah, once you use one, it's it's kind of eye-opening. And, well, for me, it was a little more eye-opening than I wanted. But, I mean, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's really nice. And, I mean, here's with the bidet attachments, too, mine is, like, the most basic model you can get. So, it's so how much does it cost? Like, what you got, that tushy thing, how much does it cost? So, mine costs uh, $79. Really? That's, that's it? The, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and it's, the only thing I had to do extra was my fly line on my toilet wasn't correct because you need, like, a flexible hose. And so mm-hmm. I had to run a Home Depot and get one that was maybe five bucks, and that's all I that's all I spent was five dollars to get this. And, I, and after that, it took me maybe twenty thirty minutes to get everything set up. So I was yeah. That's so you're never you're never going back again, huh? This is it. Uh, this is it. I think so. I was a little skeptical at first, but yeah. And I mean, you can get like I said before, mine is the most basic, but there are kinds that dry you after. There are kinds that uh, you can actually get hot water if you wanted it. So, yes, I mean, that's see. I have all that. I have, I have the drying stuff. I have yeah. different. I I have so much. I'm, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It makes me breakfast after. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's once wild. you get used to this, Amanda, I'm telling you, mm-hmm. you really can't go back again. I go nuts when I'm not home and have to really? use. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, and it's and it's interesting too. Because, um, you know, they have, like, flushable wipes to clean yourself now. And those actually aren't flushable, even though they're... No, you're not supposed to... Yeah, no, right. Yeah. and so No, you you need to do... Guys, I'm telling you, America, get wise. There's... I don't understand. I've had a lot of people who come to my house, you know, I've bullied them into going into my bathroom to try this out. And what shocks me is that... Most people come out and they're creeped out. Yeah, they don't like. I mean, it. well, it's it's not something that Americans are used to. It's just not. You know, <laughs> we we like our we like our dry wiping, and that. It's so much less. Uh, it's wiping. so unhygienic. It is so. It is just ridiculous. It's uncivilized. Yeah, I agree. Now that I've now that I've experienced it, I agree. And I mean, this is not something I was very naive when I went into it because I thought it was the whole kit and caboodle. I didn't realize it was just the butt. But I mean, I got the kit and caboodle. I've got I got yeah, you you, man. I got everything, and I can't. So does your husband like this? Does he like it too now? 
I don't know if he's actually used it. Are you kidding <laughs> me? I he, my friend used it and I heard her squeal. <laughs> like I told her, I was like, you know, I have a bidet now, and she went upstairs, <laughs> and it was quiet, and then she went, oh. <laughs> Well, you also you point out in your piece that my my good friend Fat Man D has one and is in ecstasy, right? Oh, she loves it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who wouldn't? Well, it's well, it's crazy because like we when we started doing this when I first pitched this piece, I Lisa was like my editor said, oh, you know, there's all these people talking about their bidets, their bidets online, and maybe we can get somebody to talk about it. And I reached out to a bunch of people. Nobody wanted to talk about their bidets. Nobody. (laughs) And everybody was, it was weird. And I was like, you went on Facebook and talked about how great your bidet is. I mean, why won't you talk about it? Why wouldn't they? Jeez. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you're, it's fine. I stop people. I stop people on the street to tell them about it. It it is just, the greatest thing. So, of course, Fat Man D doesn't have a problem talking about it. Oh, no. She was very, yeah, she sent me a bunch of answers. She was just gushing, <laughs> I guess pun intended, about the day. Um, I mean, it's, 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 and it's interesting. I don't know if this is just a recent thing because I know some companies, I think one of the companies that pointed out, Brondell, has been doing it a little bit longer, has been making bidet attachments a little bit longer. But I think this is just a recent thing, and people are just trying it out. And, yeah, and it seems like well, people are really loving it. So, Well, I really, really love it myself. Um, I was turned yeah. on to it by a friend who, for my birthday, gave me an add-on to my regular toilet. Uh, and... Know. That did it for me. And then when I, I redid my bathroom uh, a few years back, I said, I want the real deal. So I went and got me one of those Japanese Toto washlets. And man, my life, yeah. my life has changed in such a wondrous way. <laughs> There's not a thing I've ever purchased that is that fantastic. Just telling you. Yeah. I mean, so if you're going to invest in anything, you should invest in, I mean, how much time do you spend in the bathroom? Why not invest in something that's going to make that so much more pleasurable? Exactly. Spend money on your toilet, on your mattress, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, spend money on stuff where you spend a lot of your time. Yeah. I mean, I don't spend much time on the toilet, but some people do. Yeah. Some people read on the toilet. Amanda, I want to thank you for giving us some relief. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. And um, enjoy enjoy your so so you get this add-on courtesy of of City Paper. They had to pay for it, didn't they? Uh, no. Yeah. They. I asked if I could review it, and they said absolutely, and they just sent it to me. I was shocked. I was. (laughs) Like, you're just going to send me one? Wow, uh, see, have, have, the yeah. perks of being a reporter. There are so few. <laughs> there are so few and fewer and fewer and fewer. But we're glad yeah. you're there to do this hard-hitting journalism for us. <laughs> hey, it's essential. People, people got to know. 
That's right, they do. And thanks for being there, and stay safe, and um, keep up the great work. Oh, thank you. You as well, Lynn. Thank you, Amanda. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Amanda Waltz. She has her piece in uh, Pittsburgh City Paper that came out today, the new edition. Um, okay, I'm going to share with you this letter, if I can find it. Now, this is just a story. Uh, uh, Vic Walchek is... is um, is telling. He he initially sent this to the executive director of the state ACLU, Reggie Shuford, who passed it on uh, to me, and um, and said that Vic, you know, had was, said go ahead share this because um, it's it's amazing. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Oh. Uh, Here, this is the sort of long letter from Vic Voltec, but what a story. Uh, Hope everyone had a good weekend. I thought I would share the story of my little adventure last night. Two months into the lockdown, after another week of crazy hours on fast-moving COVID-related litigation, I was looking forward to an uneventful Saturday night nice dinner with the missus and my two homebound daughters, and then doing pretty much nothing. Perfect. I needed some quiet time to do, well, nothing. And everything was working perfectly until about 9 o'clock, which began a night for the ages that involved an emergency court hearing that produced the following federal court order. And then there's this, you know, mumbo-jumbo federal order placed by uh, petitioners and the federal district of this and that and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Vic goes on to explain in regular language, the petitioner here is a lonely 17-year-old boy from Guatemala without any family in Pittsburgh. And this is his story and how my highly anticipated quiet Saturday night went awry. The trajectory of my perfect Saturday evening changed with the 9 o'clock call from an immigration lawyer at Jewish Family and Community Services. She asked if I had a moment for an urgent matter. I said, of course. The gist was that a 17-year-old boy in the middle of immigration proceedings was being picked up at 3 o'clock in the morning to be flown to the border and then out of the country. 3 o'clock in the morning, I said, like like in six hours? Yep, she said, and again asked if I could help. Oh, boy. It was already after 9, and colleagues will tell you that my functioning brain shuts down after about 10, since I'm an early morning person, but how could I say no? So, let's do it, I said with some trepidation. The Jewish Family and Community Services client is known as an unaccompanied minor, a legal term for a child who has no lawful immigration status in the United States, and has no parent 
or legal guardian here? I'll call him Andre to protect his identity, but that is not his real name. Andre came into this country in December of 2018 when he was 15 years old. Excuse me, he was 16. After being briefly detained, he and his father were released in Houston to await immigration hearings. His father sent him to live with friends in Indianapolis, but soon after, the father returned to Guatemala, leaving Andre to fend for himself. The father took all the court paperwork with him. Young Andre worked construction jobs until January of this year when a police officer questioned him and turned him over to immigration agents. Now, special rules protect unaccompanied minors, which spared him being sent to a detention center. Instead, he was sent to Holy Family Institute, which is run by Catholic nuns in Emsworth, just just uh, up the Ohio uh, from Pittsburgh. And Vic says, by all accounts, Holy Family provides decent quarters and schooling. It's not a jail. I've never visited, but I've spoken to the director and have received good reports from lawyers who have been there. Andre had been there since February 1st. It was not until late April that Andre's lawyers at JF, the Jewish family uh, group, learned that last summer an immigration judge held a hearing in Houston and ordered Andre deported because he wasn't there. But no one had told Andre there was a hearing. And no one told him the judge ordered him removed. Upon learning about the order... His lawyers here in Pittsburgh immediately filed a motion to reopen the proceedings, which happens regularly. Immigration courts tend not to be either efficient or fair, so they often hold proceedings without even telling the affected person, which is a problem uh, under our Constitution. The attorneys at the Jewish uh, Family Services had not heard anything from the court about any decision. And then on Saturday afternoon, this last Saturday, they received a call from Holy Family Institute telling them that immigration officials had just advised them they would be picking Andre up at 3 a.m. to ship him to the border and then to Guatemala. The lawyers made some calls, confirmed the early morning pickup, and learned that the stay at the border would only last as long as it took for them to fill an airplane full of other kids. So Vic says, by now it's 10 p.m. On a Saturday night, I had no idea how I could possibly get a federal judge to issue an order to block the impending removal. The courthouse was closed. No one would be checking for newly filed cases. I emailed the chief federal judge in Pittsburgh, a good man who I've known for nearly 30 years. He then put me in touch with the two deputy, the top two deputies in the U.S. Attorney's Office, suggesting I try to work things out with them and that if I couldn't, he would conduct a hearing. 
So Vic said, great, game on. And then he describes how for the next two hours, he, between phone calls and emails with the assistant U.S. attorneys talking to these Jewish, the Jewish uh, guys, lawyers, to gather facts, prodding my ACLU Immigrants Rights Project colleagues for legal help and trying to write up an emergency habeas corpus petition and motion for emergency order to keep the kid here. The U.S. attorneys had told me they made a recommendation um, these are good people, and I have strong suspicion they advise the immigration people in Washington to hold off. What's the rush? Why 3 a.m.? But at midnight, the government lawyers called to say that higher-ups in D.C. at immigration had decided they would not postpone Andre's 3 a.m. pickup. I promptly notified the federal judge, we need a hearing. Now, if you know Judge Mark Hornack, you wouldn't be surprised to hear that he was completely nonplussed about holding a hearing at midnight on Saturday, and he shared instructions how to file the legal papers and set up a conference line. So with some help from ACLU immigrant rights lawyers on the West Coast, I filed emergency legal papers at 12.42 a.m., Judge Hornick convened the telephonic emergency hearing at about 12.50. This is this Sunday morning. All three of his law clerks were on the line, along with the two government attorneys and the lawyers from the JFCS. 1 a.m. on a Sunday morning. The three lawyers, Jamie, Joyce, and Orlando, were my witnesses. They were sworn in, and they presented testimony largely to verify that what we filed in writing was true. The judge had many questions, most prominent being, why were U.S. immigration officials taking this kid away at 3 in the morning on a Sunday? He noted that the feds do that when serving a warrant for a dangerous felon they feared might abscond or destroy evidence. But by all accounts, Andre... This 17-year-old kid with no criminal record sleeping now in the custody of a bunch of nuns was anything but a dangerous felon. It is very curious, the judge said. He said that several times. The assistant U.S. attorneys didn't have any answers. I'm pretty sure they were as puzzled as the rest of us. At 1.42, the judge verbally issued what's known as a temporary restraining order, which is the most emergency court action available. He recognized that the young man had constitutional rights to due process, <coughs> and the harm to him of being deported was clear. He also stated that the court is unable to identify any harm to the government if the status quo is preserved in this case namely letting the kid stay, allowing for a methodical and meaningful determination of Andre's ability to remain in the United States would be in the best interests of all, ruled the judge. Boom, said Vic. We had done it. I asked the judge to raise with the U.S. attorneys the importance of conveying this order to their clients, that would be the big bad guys in D.C., that there would not be any misunderstandings. 
it's not that I didn't trust the two U.S. attorneys here, but at that ungodly hour, it was easy to envision even important information falling through the cracks. The judge amplified my concerns, and the U.S. attorneys gave their assurances. Oh, but there was one more matter, and this is just priceless. Under the federal rules of civil procedure, an injunction requires security from the party getting the order. And the judge had just issued this injunction. No, you're not going to pick this kid up now. So Vic writes, I raised the fact that it, it's often waived for indigent people, but the judge insisted he did not want there to be any excuse for the federal government to say the injunction was not correct. He asked if I had 50 bucks. I looked in my wallet. I had 65. I thought of making a joke about being a poor ACLU lawyer, but then thought the better of it. Yes, your honor, I said, I have the money. He directed me to drive immediately to his house to deliver the cash. Now, here's, this is interesting. Turns out we live in the same town, so it was easy. It was only 10 minutes. At 2.10 a.m. Sunday, I stood on the judge's front porch, handing him an envelope of cash. I thought, man, I hope no one's filming this. This can't look good. He took the money, commented that he trusted me, but still counted it. (laughs) We stood on his porch under a clear moonlit sky, chatting for a few minutes about how crazy life had become. At 2.45 after returning home, I cracked open a Helltown IPA trying to decompress and absorb what had just happened. The sleepy evening I longingly had sought had turned into a wild ride. Beyond the excitement of it all, the outcome was great. My client, whom I have never met, now had a good chance of winning his immigration case to be allowed to stay here. If we had lost, that dream would have ended in spectacular and tragic fashion. But then my thoughts turned to, who does this? Who whisks children out of deep slumber in the early morning hours to jet them across the country and then out of the country when they still have court proceedings. Oh, right. The people who think it's okay to put children in cages. The moral callousness of this administration is horrifying. Perishing those dark thoughts, I reflected on the Jewish uh, community service lawyers who had tried everything they could starting Saturday afternoon to save this child. Heroes, for sure. And Judge Hornick, we have, been, we have practiced law a long time, including against each other a few times back in the day. But we discussed how neither of us have ever done a middle-of-the-night emergency hearing like this. And I thought of Andre, a child fleeing tragic circumstances who now had a shot 
at a better life. I hope to meet him soon. In my vision of America, he is welcome here and will make us a better, richer nation. So how was your Saturday night? That's the letter from Vic Voltec recounting his last Saturday night. And I just think it is a remarkable testament to people who never get credit, all these lawyers, even these U.S. attorneys, the law clerks. These are people who, on a yeah, all when they would normally be asleep, working their tails off to save a child from this outrageous action by our heartless, cruel federal government. So I wanted to share that with you. And if it puts you in mind of sending the ACLU a little check, man, they are working overtime these days, pushing back on all fronts against this lawless administration. So that's it for me today. I hope you found that as interesting as I and as gratifying as well. Enjoy the sun. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.